how are you guys? So good to see ya. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So good, have a seat. And uh, hey, for those who do not know our story, we have been a part of this church as a family for 17 years, and I have been, been on staff for 17 years. Before we've got sent two years ago to the wonderful city of Hamburg uh, in North Germany to start a new ICF. So two years ago, summer 2016, we have been sent as a church by you guys. And if you weren't there, you never knew, but now you know. You have sent us to Hamburg to start a church. And I just want to give you a, a short report what God has done uh, the last few months and the last few years. We as a family were really not sure what's going to happen when we went there because we would love to have a team. You know, normally if you start a church, they tell you you should have a team so you don't go alone. My team were two kids and a wonderful woman. Okay, the problem was I could not take a team with me because my closest friends, they were all on staff at church. So if I would have taken my team with me, my friends, it would be Simon Lemle and Dave Kuhl and Leo Bigger. And they did not tell me that's a good idea. So, so I didn't. So we went alone. But the great thing is as we went there, we really met so many great people, so many great young leaders that... I felt like they have been with ICF for all their lives. I couldn't imagine how they, how they could become that way without being at ICF the last few years. So it was just great to see how God knew what we need as a family and as leaders, and God really provided it. We are, are now about 200 people on a Sunday. The average the last half year was a 180 attendance, but that's just one number. But for me, a lot more encouraging is uh, the numbers that are behind the attendance. We have about half of the church, half of the attendance we have in small groups, we have in teams. We have over uh, 90 people that attended a faith course uh, and started to, to live with Jesus or restart a life with Jesus, starting being a part of this church. So it's really encouraging. We as a family are doing fine. We adapt to the German culture, which means we are a little more rough, not so friendly anymore. We don't laugh at all. We don't say thank you. We yell at people. No, just kidding. But it's really, really good. I just also want to thank you because many of you guys have donated money for the REACH campaign. And ICF sent us not only spiritually, but also financially and helped us and allowed us to do this full time. Normally, if you start a church, you as a pastor has to work in business to get some money to finance the family. And we as a family, for us, it was such a privilege to just be able to do this full time because of your generosity. And the last few months, the income in Hamburg um, was a lot higher than the expenses that we had. So some of your money, actually the majority of last year's money is still on a bank account and is ready to be used when God opens doors for a new location. So just for me, I wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart as a pastor, but also as the leader of my family. And I also wanna thank you as part of my church because the people in our church, so many times they said, I can't believe that there are people in Zurich that care so much about Hamburg that they give so much money to make this church church possible. So guys, I can tell you, you have started a church in Hamburg. 
you as an ICF family have multiplied what you have here in Hamburg. So give God and yourself a big, big, big hand. Come on. Hey, uh, we dive into a story that really touched my life in the last half year, more than any other story in the Bible. And we have a great drama on our huge jelly screen to dive into it. Let's go. Zwölf Jahre hatte ich den Blutfluss. Die Krankheit hat mir praktisch alles genommen. Meine Würde, meine Lebensfreude und eigentlich alle sozialen Kontakte. Ein normales Leben. Unmöglich. Am Anfang bin ich noch von Arzt zu Arzt gerannt. Immer in der Hoffnung, einer könnte mir vielleicht helfen. Keiner hat mir helfen Auf die Hoffnung ist Desillusionierung und dann die Erschöpfung. Aber dann, dann ist die Kunde von Jesus durch unser Land gegangen. Es hat geheißen, er könne Wunder tun. So richtige Wunder. Ja, Blinde können sehen und Lame können auf Eigens laufen. Und dann habe ich gedacht, wenn er das kann, dann müsste ich doch eigentlich nur sein Gewand berühren und, und ich wäre wieder gesund. Lustigerweise habe ich in dem Moment Trotz all meiner negativen Erlebnisse kein Zweifel gehabt, dass er mich heilen kann. Ja, und dann ist der Tag gekommen. Jesus ist in unser Städtchen gekommen. Ja, ich habe mich verhüllt und unter die Leute gemischt. Und dann, ganz unauffällig, habe ich sein Gewand berührt. Aber vor Jesus ist nichts verborgen. Er sich umgedreht. Tochter, dein Glauben hat dir geholfen. Das hat er gesagt. Und in dem Augenblick, in dem Augenblick bin ich gesund. Gesund. Das bezüglich, so war ich da hocken. So ist mein Jesus. Wow, what a powerful story, isn't it? Now we want to really dive into the text and the interesting thing when we start reading this passage is realizing this story that we've just heard is just a side story of what's really happening. And I want to dive into the text with you in Mark chapter 5, 21 to 24. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed 
and pressed around him. It's really interesting. There is this very important leader of the synagogue, of the temple. There is this very famous, powerful, respected man that comes to Jesus. And we read that Jesus was on his way back to the other side of the lake. Why? Because he was on this side of the lake, serving many people, casting out demons, healing people. And I assume his mission was to cross the lake to get some rest. Probably his disciples said, oh, finally we get away from this huge crowd and go to McDonald's or whatever and get some rest, okay? So he comes to the other side of the lake, but we read here, a large crowd was already awaiting for him because Jesus at that time was really a very famous guy and people were wanting to see new miracles and new healing. So he comes to the other side, probably very tired, but again, people come wanting something from him. So here's this man, this respected man. But then, as Jesus went with him, it says a large crowd went with him. And this is how the text continues. It says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him and in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. The first thing that I see in this text is Jesus allows you to interrupt him. Jesus allows you to interrupt him. And the contrast couldn't be bigger. We have this very respected leader of the synagogue, a very influential position. People would step away because of respect so he can go to Jesus. And on the other hand, we have this woman at the very opposite of society, kicked out, neglected, rejected. And both of these type of people, Jesus allows them to interrupt him. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm really tired today. You know, I had my agenda. We are about to get some rest. Jesus says, what can I do for you? Why is Jesus doing that? It says in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. God does not judge people differently. God does not care what your position is in society. God does not care about your bank account. God doesn't care if you are very famous and important in this world or at the very side, at the very opposite of society. God does not care and count what you've done right or wrong. You know, this guy probably has prayed hundred thousands of prayer in the temple. He was a very religious person. On the other hand, there is this woman, and we will learn about it later, that was not even allowed to go into the synagogue. And Jesus, both of these people, treats them exactly the same way. I want to look at the story of this young woman, and just as a short explanation, her illness or her sickness meant she had menstruation all the time. Since she was 12, all the time, she had the same issue. I'm not a woman, but I'm married to a woman. 
And I know that these days are tough days. These days are painful days. But for this woman, it meant all of her days. And I want to look a little bit at her situation because we soon understand that it's even worse than just a physical illness. At that time, we had a patriarchal order, which meant women is subordinate to men. Second, the marriageable age was between 12 and 14 years. So as soon as a woman, as girl started to be mature, her parents started talking about who she will marry. Happiness and reputation at that time was very close to having a man, being married, and having many children. On the other hand, if you did not have a man, if you do not have children, you were under shame. If you had a man and you had children, it also meant you have social and financial security. If you did not have a husband, if you did not have any children, it meant you did not have any social or financial security. It is even worse. People at that time said, if you have no men, if you don't have any children, you are under the punishment of God. Sickness was seen as a punishment due to sin. So if you were ill, other people were assuming and discussing whether you were a bad sinner or maybe somebody in your family was a sinner. Now it's even worse. If you had, as a woman, if you had your menstruation, it's meant that you were spiritually and physically impure. If you were impure because of an illness, it meant you were completely socially and physically isolated. It meant you were completely socially and physically isolated. That's the real situation of this woman for the last 12 years. Now, I don't know what your pain is right now. What is your sickness what is your need maybe you lack a perspective of future maybe you fight with sickness maybe you fight with depression maybe you have self-doubt maybe you are lonely in the city maybe you fight with addiction maybe you are not satisfied with the outward appearance maybe you find financially, maybe you are in war in your family, or maybe it's something very different. But I just want to ask you to really think a little bit and ask yourself if would Jesus stop and would stand in front of you and would ask, what is your pain? What is your issue? What would you say? What would you say? You know, the point is this. If you have come to church tonight, God allows you to interrupt him. If you came here tonight and you call upon the name of Jesus and you expect him to touch you during this service, he is allowing you to interrupt him. 
And he's asking you every Sunday, what is what I can do for you? What is your deepest pain? I believe the worst pain that we can have is hopelessness. And this woman, she really had many reasons to be hopeless. It says she had spent all the money, Luke chapter 8. She had spent all the money and she had, she had on doctors. But she could not be healed by anyone. She had spent all her money. But the Bible says her illness even got worse over the years. This woman had so many reasons to be hopeless, to give up, to let go of her dreams, to just live with it, just accept her situation. But praise God, she did not. I want to look at you a little bit about some steps that we can take and that we see in this story here that we can experience a miracle or healing in Jesus' name. The first thing that God needs from us is faith. God needs faith to do a miracle. Why? I believe faith does mean overcoming the fear of being disappointed. Faith does mean for us overcoming the fear of being disappointed or again disappointed. Now this woman has done so much. She has invested so much. She had went to the doctors and nothing happened. But still this woman is bold enough to get on her feet and to try again. I have a sickness in my back for the last 10 years. And you know, sometimes it's great to talk about it. And sometimes people see it when I stand up after a long day. I walk a little bit like this, like an old grandpa, you know. And so people say, hey, what's the problem? They say, oh, you know, I got this issue. It's really bad. And, and it's great to get some, you know comfort from other people, you know, talk about it a little bit. But then comes always this point when you talk to Christians, real believers, they say, have you ever prayed for this? You know that question? And sometimes it sucks, you know, after a while you have heard it so many times and you have done it so many times and people prayed so many times that you kind of feel like, yeah, 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 you can. But you know that feeling? And then sometimes I hear myself saying, you know, I believe that God can heal me. It's not that I don't believe that he could do it. You know, like theoretically, I absolutely believe that he can do it. But faith means taking a step. Faith in practice means I overcome the fear of being disappointed and I get on my feet and I pray again and I try again and as a small group we stand together and we pray again and again I went, go to the prayer team and ask them to pray again. I don't care how many times I get up back on my feet and I pray again. And I love her faith. It says, she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Wow. She says, I, I don't even need to talk to this guy. I just need to touch his clothes. I am so sure I will be healed. The second thing that we see in this story is this woman opens up herself for community. She steps into community. She was out alone, probably living 
in front of the village, in front of the town, outside the town, but she allowed herself to step into community with other people and with God. What does it mean to step into community? It means overcoming the fear of being judged. I see so many people in church that are doing this or this tragedy. The first tragedy is this. You sit in a small group, you go to church, and you have this issue, you have this addiction, maybe you have this thing that you are not really happy about, and you think, I rather keep it for myself so I'm not judged, so I can stay inside of this community. So you talk a little bit about Bible verses. You talk a little bit about politics in church. You talk a little bit about what it means to live with Jesus. And then you say, hey, good, good week. Have a good week. And next week you do that again. And you are in this just, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense. If we cannot be authentic in church, then I really have a big question. Community with believers means being authentic with yourself. God is the God of truth, not the God of lie. And if he is inside of a real godly community, he's always in truth. He wants to talk about the real stuff. The other strategy is this. People are in church and they start to struggle in their faith. Issues pop up. Maybe some immorality and As this pops up, they sooner or later step out of community with God or with other believers. Because they assume if I keep doing this, I get judged by God, I get judged by people, so I'd rather go slowly outside of the church. But you know what? Both strategies are absolutely not necessary. If you struggle with something, I encourage you so much, so much to not step away, but to step in the church. I talked to a woman the other day and she started a small group some time ago. And a month after she started a small group, I met her and I asked, hey, how is your small group doing? You had this great young ladies, you started this group. And she said, oh, I've, I've stopped the group already. And I said, whoa, that, that was fast. I mean." You only met once or twice, right? And she said, yeah, we had this first night and we had dinner. It was great. And then we started to introduce ourselves. And then one lady started to cry and says, I have a problem with anorexia, like an eating issue. And she started to cry. And then a second woman started to cry and said, I'm, I'm so happy you brought that up because I fight with the same. And the third young woman, all around 20s, started to cry and said, I can't believe it. I fight with this. I have never told anyone. I'm so happy you brought that up. I fight with the same issue. And I look at this young small group leader. I say, wow, this is amazing. And she said, yeah, I stopped the group. And I said, why? And she said, I don't want to spend time with people like that. And I looked at her and said, well, for what do we have small groups then? To play church? To play some Christianity? To play some religion? And wait until we are up there in heaven? That's stupid. I believe small groups are healing places. I believe churches should be healing places. The power of godly community is so healing to our soul and to our body. Jesus says healthy people don't need a doctor. 
sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. <laughs> so when you are in worship, I encourage you to stretch out. When you are in small group, I encourage you to be authentic, to talk about the real stuff. And if you come here as a church, maybe just on a Sunday, and you just walk in, sit on a chair, go back home, I really want to encourage you tonight to step into community. We have so many small groups. We have so many opportunities to become a real part of this church. To get to know friends who fight with you, you pray for you, leaders that encourage you. So I really encourage you to step into community. The third step that this woman does is she decides to contact Jesus, to be touched with or by Jesus. What does it mean? Oops. I jumped. It means overcoming the fear of being rejected. This woman was bold enough to touch another person. Now remember, we learned in the beginning, this woman was impure. At that times, if you were impure and you would walk through the village, it was your job to always stay away from people more than three meters. You were not allowed to get any closer to other people who were not impure any more than three meters. If by accident somebody would not see you, you it was your job to say, I am impure. So this woman for 12 years said, I am impure. Every time she walks through the village. Now this woman was bold enough to touch Jesus. Now first, she was not allowed to get any closer than three meters to any other person. More than that, she was not allowed to touch another man as a woman. More than that, she was not allowed to touch another man as an impure woman. More than that, she was not allowed to touch as an impure woman and holy rabbi named Jesus. So this lady basically risked her own life, knowing that if this person reacts like a man and not like God, this probably means I will not live more than another day. But she stretches out and is bold enough and touch the clothes of Jesus, knowing that it's not her touch that will heal her, but it will be his touch that will heal her. I have prepared this message in my mother's house. We are here for vacation, so I was at my mother's house. I prepared this message. I was meditating over all these thoughts, and all of a sudden I looked at this old game that comes out of my childhood. This is my original Swiss Brio Bahn. I don't know, you guys know Brio Bahn? We can see who, who grew up in Switzerland or Germany. So this is really my old Brioban. Actually, my brothers would now say, whoa, wait, you were the third or fourth in family, so this is ours, but I don't care, they're not here. So this is mine, okay? And 
For those who know, they are magnets. And you always have to know which side you put the train so that they attract each other instead of pushing each other away. So here is God, and we know God is holy, right? God does not sin. God is full of grace. God is full of life. There is nothing bad in God. We also know that God's holiness rejects our sin. So if we have sin here, well, I'm really looking forward if this works, we know God's holiness pushes away our sin. Sin pushes away God. This does not go together. Now, if we deal with sin, we always think that God's holiness is pushing us away, right? We are in worship, but we think we're not worthy to worship. We are in a small group, but we think we're not worthy to be there. And all these bad thoughts, the point is this, what we miss out is God, God's holiness rejects sin, but it attracts, oh, now we have a, another problem, but it attracts the sinner. You are not sin. You are the sinner. God's holiness is attracting you, is pulling you towards him. God neglects your sin, but he does not neglect you. He embraces you. And this young woman has understood that. The fourth step we see in this story is this woman decides to step into really relationship. That's our fourth step. She decides to step into relationship. Now we can read in this text, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Okay, Jesus could have just kept walking, right? He was on his way to Jairus' house. That was his mission, right? And there is this woman touching his clothes. And we hear in this story, Jesus felt that power has gone out of him. So he could have just keep walking and say, okay, I got healed one. Well, that was great, you know. But he didn't. That's not the Jesus style. He stopped. He turned around and he said, who touched me? What's your name? What's your story? And it says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Wow. You know, Jesus is not just about doing a miracle. Jesus is not just your problem solver. Jesus is looking for a relationship. Jesus wants to know your name. Jesus wants to know your story. We can see so many other stories in the Bible. People that just wanted to see Jesus from far. People just wanted to get healed by him. But so many times, Jesus is not done with healing a person. So many times he said, I want to know your name. I want to go to your house. I want to spend time with you. Because Jesus is not your problem solver. Jesus is your answer. Jesus is your friend. 
And now comes my absolute highlight in this story. Just as a remember, we've learned this woman was impure. This also meant that her father in this culture, when this sickness came up with 12 or 13 years, it was his job to kick this daughter out of the family. Most likely this man with tears said to her, I have to ask you to leave my household. Why? Because you brought shame on our family, on our relatives. People expected the father to kick out his daughter from the family. Most likely this father asked this young lady to go out of the village and to live with other impure people outside the town. So for the last 12 years, this woman as a teenager was not part of a family anymore. The last 12 years, she was not a daughter anymore. For the last 12 years, she was not part of family parties. Maybe her sister had birthday. Maybe it was her own birthday. But all of the time, she was alone. She was not part of this family anymore. She did not grow up under the love of a caring father and a caring mother. And it's so interesting, after she tells her story to Jesus, what's the word that Jesus says to her? It says, my daughter. My daughter. Isn't this amazing? Jesus knew so much better what this young lady really needed. Jesus knew so much better. This is not just a physical issue. This is not just a physical healing. There is something far worse inside of you that has been damaged, that has been kicked, that has been wounded. And Jesus knew so well that the word this young lady needed to hear most was my daughter. The Bible is so full of details. My daughter. For the first time after 12 years, she heard that word. She missed so much for so many years. She was so empty. She was so alone. Nobody understood her story. And then comes Jesus and he says, I know you and I look inside of you and I understand you and I know how you feel. And I tell you, you are my daughter. And I believe this word was so much more healing than any other touched by him. God knows your story so much better than yourself. Maybe you fight with a financial issue. Maybe you fight in marriage. Maybe you fight with a sickness. I'll tell you tonight, God knows so much deeper what the real problem is in your life. And I kindly encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. I've been to counseling many times. I went in with some topic from my life and said, oh, I want to talk about it. I really need a, a solution here. You know, let's get this done. And you go and you started to talk about it and you started to pray about it and you close your eyes, you talk, talk, start talking with Jesus. And so many times 
God took my real problem to a whole other level. And I went out with something totally different than I expected and asked for. That's the Holy Spirit. He knows you. Last point is confession. This young woman confessed what she has experienced, but she also confessed that she has been healed. If we make a confession, if we testify what God has done in our lives, it always means overcoming the fear that the miracle will not remain. I believe there is one word missing actually. One sign that we have not here. The last step is humility. Humility. It says that Jairus and this woman, they both fell on their knees. It says Jairus fell on his knees in front of Jesus. And it says, and she fell at Jesus' feet. Falling on our knees means confessing who we are and who he is. If we want to be healed and touched by God, it needs humility. It means authenticity. It means relationship. It means community. And it means faith. Why don't we stand up Go to Jesus right now. I just want to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. Maybe if, if this helps you tonight, you can get on your knees just as a sign of surrendering, as a sign of humility. Feel free to do whatever you want to keep sitting. You sit if you want to stand, stand. If you want to get on your knees, get on your knees. Do whatever helps you to encounter God right now I just want to remind you that Jesus is standing in front of you right now it's his house you are in his house tonight and he asks you what is it that I can do for you and I encourage you to tell him what you need right now tell him your pain and I just wait here for it few seconds and just pour your heart out right now tell him your story you Jesus and your wonderful name to heal right now I proclaim spiritual breakthroughs right now in your name Jesus I proclaim miracles right now in your name Jesus God I pray for those who do not have community 
For those who are maybe here new in town and they don't even have a real church yet, I ask in your name, Jesus, that you provide their steps. Bless them with good church. Bless them with good community. In Jeremiah 3, it says, I have always loved you. Long before God has created this earth, long before you started to breathe, God had already loved you. Long before you could have done anything wrong or right, God has decided that you are worthy and loved. So why do we keep running and trying to improve instead of being ourselves and be real and stand in front of Jesus and tell Him what we need? Why do we keep running away from Him? instead of running to Him, right into His arms. Jesus is for you, not against you. And I bless you with a healed identity. And I remind you that you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God in Jesus' name. You are accepted. You are valued and you are healed in Jesus' name. Amen.